Good morning. It's great to be with you here today, either in person or virtually. We have been going through the book of Genesis together, and today we are in arguably one of the most controversial and excruciating chapters of the Bible and of Genesis, and that's Genesis chapter 22. So I, I would probably say this is possibly the most important sermon I could give, not because of my ability or because of the work I've invested in it, but because of the the theme that is being put forth in this section, in this chapter. It's one of the most important themes throughout the course of scripture. And again, it's not a new theme because throughout all of Genesis, we have this idea of covenant. And yet here you have something about the nature and character of God that is at the extreme, that is uh, completely at this extreme um, and disturbing at the same time. It is both something incredibly good and yet also has this appearance of, of being evil um, at the same time. And so if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn with me. I'm going to be reading from my phone, um, Genesis chapter 22, and I'll be reading just the first couple of verses because we're going to step through this slowly. We're going to step through this narrative um, in a very deliberate way. I'm going to read 22 verse 1 through, let's see, I'll read 1 through 4 to start out. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut, wood, he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So I'm going to be, as we step through the story, the first thing I want you to observe or take notice of is at the very beginning of this passage, it says, after these things. And it's going to say that every now and then in the book of Genesis, but the reason I want to bring this to your attention is this event where Abraham is going to offer Isaac doesn't drop out of nowhere. It doesn't occur in a vacuum. There is a relationship history that God has with Abraham that is crucial for us to acknowledge. They've been journeying together now for over 25 years, probably close to 35 years. Abraham was 75 when he was called out of Haran. And now we're looking at probably, and then Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. And we're looking at Abraham, Isaac being maybe about 10 years old or so, 10 or 11. And so he's probably around 110. Okay, And they've been journeying together for 35 years. And just in the most recent events, Abraham has had to surrender Ishmael. That's probably around 10 years ago. Um, that he's also dug a well, experienced conflict with Abimelech, uh, king of the Philistines, made a pact with Abimelech, and then called on the name of the Lord. And so you have all this as the context to this chapter, and that's where we are coming through. And then, even in this first verse, it also says, after these things, God tested Abraham, tested Abraham. And I think this term tested is a 
it's kind of a scary, it is a scary word to use the word tested. Scary because we don't always know what does it mean for God to test someone? You know, what is it, what is exactly is that? And I think a lot of times when we think about testing, it means to find something out about a person. We test each other all the time. We test ourselves to see what we're truly about. But I think it's even something even more specific. I think when God talks about testing, it is to apply pressure or introduce tension in a way that challenges a person's convictions. It's to apply pressure and introduce tension in a way that challenges a person's convictions, what they truly value, what they find most important. And so I think that's, that's what we'll kind of uh, use as our working definition. And the question is, why, why does someone do that on purpose? Isn't that something that just happens in the course of life where people are tested, you have circumstances, you have suffering, and it happens through the course of life. The question that we want to explore somewhat today is why does God do that on purpose? Why does he have to test people on purpose? Why can't it just be part of an aspect of the way life is set up? And it is, life is set up that way with testing. And so that's one of the tensions I want to examine. And then, and then we need to get to the, the elephant in the room and that is the offering itself. God tells Abraham to offer his son, and it says only son, as, uh, as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice. And at this point, I think it's helpful to acknowledge that one of the aspects of the Canaanites and what they did, the neighboring countries, they also had this idea of human sacrifice. So human sacrifice is also an aspect of what they, uh, uh, of what other religions in this area were a part of. And that's not, so that's not a compliment to God that he would do the same, that he would be proposing a similar thing as other religions. In fact, it probably makes it more disturbing that other religions offer human sacrifice and God is now asking Abraham to offer a human sacrifice of his son. And, that, and it gets worse because this is also the first instance in the Bible where God uses the term love, except this usage of the term love is not God loving mankind. It's actually Abraham's love for a son because it says there in that verse, your only son whom you love. See, it's one thing for God to kind of do this and be unintentional for God, like not to completely know what he's asking Abraham to do. But when God says, you know, offer your, your only son whom you love. <laughs> What God is saying there is he knows exactly how much Isaac means to Abraham. He's acknowledging the importance of Isaac to him. And there's almost even a sense that it's not quite true because Abraham does have another son, Ishmael, whom he just surrendered uh, a chapter ago. And yet the promise, the covenant God makes with, uh, with, with Abraham goes through Isaac. It doesn't go through Ishmael. So the sense of only son, the only son of your wife, Sarah, that's, that's the, the premise of this. But I, I, I just, I don't think we can escape that this is something disturbing, that tremendously disturbing, that God would ask another person to kill someone, okay? And I know the, the way that we look at instances like the flood, for instance, which is a, a type of genocide, it's easy, a little easier for us to rationalize because God wiped out a, a, a mankind or a group of people who were evil and did evil. But in this case, it's completely different 
because Isaac is innocent. And Abraham, as has been stated, is a righteous man. And it has all appearances that God is commanding a righteous man to slay an innocent, his own son whom he loves. And so could I just propose that it's actually pretty important that we be disturbed by this. If we're not disturbed by this, then maybe, maybe we become too used to the teachings of the Bible in a way that we have become numb to what God is trying to, to do. Because I believe this is meant to be disturbing to us. And I know I have friends who have read this passage and have either lost their faith or decided that this is actually not what God did because it's so disturbing. And so I think it's important that as you come to this passage, that we experience some of the Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamp for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the land for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And you'll notice, I didn't mention this earlier, but there's incredible detail in this passage. Like it's almost, it's literally like, like blow by blow. I mean, it doesn't come to that yet, but you have this kind of agonizing detail about these three days where Abraham is wandering around. And apparently the land of Moriah wasn't far from where he was staying. There's, there's accounts that indicate. What was it like to go through this? What, what, was he, what must he have been thinking? And to recall, he probably was wondering what he had done to deserve this. He was wondering what God was doing. He was probably going through his head and thinking, up till now, I have followed God as much as I could. And God has delivered me every time. At every point when I was in danger, whether it was in Egypt with Pharaoh, whether it was Abimelech, whether it was fighting against the armies, uh, all those, these different armies of Ketalamer, God had rescued him, had provided, had given a well. Um, and now there's this, seems like there's a threat to the covenant that God has promised him, that he would have these descendants and have become a great nation and have this land because that covenant is being threatened by God himself. And yet I wonder at the same time, if he also had this confidence because of everything that he'd been through, that God was going to find a way to provide again. And we see that indicated. 
because there are three things. There are three, there's, a, there's three times Abraham utters the same words. And this is what I want to talk about here. He says, here am I. And he says it three times. At the very beginning of this passage in verse two, he says, here am I. And then again, when Isaac asks him, where is the offering? Where is the sacrifice? He says, here am I. And then the last time is right before he's going to put the knife in his son. He says, here am I. And I want to explore, I want us to kind of meditate as we go through this. What does it mean to say, here am I? What does that indicate? And the thing that I've come to is it has to be, and I think this is so difficult for us today, but it has to mean being fully present. It has to mean saying, hey, all of, all of who I am, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, in terms of choice, I am fully engaged and present at that moment. Because as indicated, the first time God says, Abraham, Abraham says, here am I, here, here, here am I, and he does, he begins to do what God asked him to do. So the way, the reason I say it must be full engagement is because it means you're willing to listen and submit to what's being asked of you. And that has to be one aspect of it. And then I wonder once he received this terrible command, I know for myself, it would have been so tempting. In fact, I'm sure I would have had to emotionally disengage to some extent, right? Cause I'm, <laughs> it's just a crazy thing to hear. And I would have had to say to myself, okay, I, I think I can do this, but the only way I'm gonna be able to do this is if I distance myself, as if I'm just watching myself. You know those times when either you're really angry or you experience something amazing or something terrible, and you, it's almost like you have to step outside of yourself and watch yourself and it's kind of surreal. I wonder if some, that's something Abraham had to do in order to be able to force himself to go through with this. And so I wonder if those, for those couple of days, he's just like, what am I going to say when it comes to, what am I going to do? Can I really go through with this? And yet when Isaac finally says, as they're getting ready, because uh, he tells the young men to stay here and then he takes Isaac, right? And then Isaac asks the question, he says to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. I believe at that moment, Abraham was also fully present. And how do I know? Because this is what Abraham says. And in response to Isaac's question, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And I think it's kind of funny here because Abraham, Abraham has this kind of tendency to tell the truth, but not the whole truth. And so, you know, earlier in the last two times with Abimelech and Egypt, he lies about Sarah being his sister, which is kind of true, right? Sarah is like his half-sister but it's not the complete truth. So Abraham's not lying that God is going to provide the sacrifice. And yet it's not the whole truth. He doesn't tell Isaac, you're the sacrifice. You're the one whom God has provided. And so maybe it's, you can almost look at it as kind of a sick joke. And yet I believe Abraham was fully present and engaged when he's saying that. This is what he had thought about. This is what he had prepared. And I, I also think this is what he believed, even though he had no idea exactly how it would happen. You know, I think in the, in the book of Hebrews, it says Abraham might have believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. But we don't know exactly because it doesn't tell us at this moment. It's not important to the narrator. And then finally, 
in verse 11, right? When while Abraham is holding the knife, okay? Well, he's holding the knife and here it says Abraham twice, okay? The angel says Abraham twice and is yelling. And then again, Abraham says, here, am, here I am, or here am I. And I think at this point too, Abraham was fully present and engaged. And man, I do not know how he was able to do that. I really don't. And I don't know we can ever know how he's able to do that. And we know, yet, yet we know he was fully aware of what's going on because he heard the angel's voice. He wasn't so disconnected from himself, like he's acting like a robot as he's doing this, because he hears God's voice and he responds and he stops and he says, here I am. And that's when the angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. I have no idea what was going through Abraham's head at that moment when he heard the voice, probably just massive, intense relief. And also fear, because who's, where is the offering then going to come from? But I, before we go, before we keep reading, one thing I would encourage you guys to think about and challenge you, something that's so difficult for me and I, I want to acknowledge is, is something God wants to teach me is how to be fully present is how to make ourselves fully available so that when God does call to us, when he calls to me and says your name and has to say it, that we would say, here am I. And that when we say that, it would mean we are fully present and engaged. Like we're paying attention, we're willing to listen and we're able to hear it. We're able to be fully there and respond. And I know for me, especially, you know, something, it's kind of a joke, even in our family, right? When either we're playing a game or I'm at dinner, there'll be times when I'm not fully present because I'm still, I'm thinking about being somewhere else. And yet what Abraham is saying here is, or what God is saying, I believe through Abraham is Abraham was willing to be fully present, even in this terrible moment. He's like fully engaged. He doesn't, I, I, there's a thousand places I'm sure he could think of that he'd rather be than at that moment of putting a knife through his son. And yet he was open and attentive and listening to God. And then I want you to notice too, that at that moment, God stops him. And I think that's also a crucial aspect of the story. That even though God asks Abraham and commands Abraham to kill his son, to, to, well, to offer him as a burnt offering, it doesn't actually happen. Okay. So God is not actually like the other gods of the Canaanites. He, you do not go through the sacrifice. And so let's keep reading. This is verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord, lost my place. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not have withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. You know, I'm just really moved as hearing that and, and hearing Caleb um, give his testimony and talk about obedience, where it says in those, that very last, that second to last verse, that 18, it says, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, we, we can't know for sure how present Abraham was throughout, the, throughout this entire account. And yet we know for certain Abraham obeyed. Abraham did what God told him to do at every point, including the point of stopping. Abraham was ready to obey. And so the other things that I have you notice, well, I just want to tell a quick story because I'm going to introduce a term for you that I think captures the significance of this chapter. So I traveled to Nashville last, this past, earlier this month for a kind of a coaching session for, for church planners through Fellowship Associates. So it was me and two other guys, Rich and Heath, and we sat with a guy named Jeff Schulte. We were just in his office for a day and a half, about 12 to 14 hours we just spent with him. It was almost like a, a group counseling session. And he did some exercises with us that probed into our emotional life. And some of them were quite difficult and quite painful. One of the things he asked one of us to do, and he, he didn't want to at first, but in the end he did, um, he asked one of us to rank ourselves, rank himself according to, the, to, according to the, the other two people, meaning like to assess who is superior <laughs> um, relative to the other two people. I know it's kind of perverted and sick, you know, to, to, to do that, but we did it. Um, or the guy, the guy did it. Um, and then we spent a lot of time kind of talking and processing that through. Um, and it was clear for one of us in particular that it was a really painful exercise to do that whole ranking thing. And again, the idea wasn't that uh, that's good. It's not good to rank people. You know, that, that there was nothing good in that sense, but it revealed something about our hearts. We were forced to confront ourselves. And then last week we had a, we had a call and my friend Rich was describing kind of the uh, reflection process that came as a result of those couple days. And the way he described that reflection process that he believed God had been working through, we had, where he had to confront himself and where he had to also confront God, he called it a precious agony. A precious agony. And what I want to propose here, I'm going to, it was Rich that said it, I'm going to adopt that phrase for this passage as well. That Genesis 22 describes a precious agony. And what I want to spend the rest of our time um, talking about and explaining is what does that mean? And I think the first thing I want to note is everything I've talked about up to this point has been about the agony, about how painful what uh, Abraham experienced was. There is no doubt how agonizing this was. There cannot be any doubt. Agonizing on so many levels, emotionally, morally, there are so many agonizing aspects to this account. And what I'd like to do is talk about what made it precious, what made it valuable. And so a couple of things that I want to note. Number one is that God provides the sacrifice or reminds Abraham of the promise. So there is a sacrifice provided that does not come from Abraham. Okay. God actually provided Isaac in the first place. So it would have been a true statement for God to, for, for, for God, for Abraham to have said, God will provide the sacrifice and that's Isaac. And yet God provided another sacrifice, a lamb caught in a thicket, in a, in a bush. And there's even echoes of that with uh, Ishmael, 
right? Where, because it says there that Abraham lifts up his eyes in the same way Hagar lifted up her eyes and then saw the well. Somehow God opened up Abraham's eyes to see what he had provided. So that's the first thing. There's a value when we are able to open our eyes to God's provision. Second thing, the only person or thing who is ultimately sacred is God himself. We talk about the things that God makes sacred, and that includes people. But one thing that you have to note here is that the only thing that is truly sacred is God himself, because that's what, we're, that's what, that's what is being tested here, that Abraham would fear God. He's the only true, truly sacred one. And we've also been talking as we go throughout Genesis about fear, the fear of different things, the fear of God versus the fear of man. And I want you to notice that fear throughout the scripture is actually normative. And that even when Jesus and God says, do not fear, it's always in a very specific regard. It's do not fear for I am with you. It's not to be afraid because the presence of God is still there, is still with you. And to fear God more than anyone else. The next aspect of what is precious is that God is willing to challenge anything and everything. to him, even good gifts, even great gifts that he gives. So saying Christianity is free is a true statement, but it's almost like saying, you know, like Abraham saying, Sarah is my sister. Okay. It is a true statement, but it's not complete. And so when you really think about the claim of what Christianity is doing, Christianity is free, but following Jesus means giving up everything. It means being able to surrender everything, including the thing or person that you hold most dear. And God may not ask it immediately, but there always is an aspect of surrender. And so if you're thinking um, as you approach the Christian life that your life will become easier, that is a lie. God doesn't actually promise that your life will become easier or more comfortable. He actually, if this is an example for us, He's actually saying your life will become more challenging, that you'll be asked to give up more and surrender more. Now, I fully recognize that Abraham doesn't have to kill Isaac. He doesn't have to sacrifice him. God provides. And yet to be taken through those excruciating three days means God, uh, Abraham had to be willing to surrender. And then perhaps the last thing, the greatest gift that God wants to give us is himself. And that's what God is giving in this encounter, okay? And I think it's powerful and and amazing that God empathizes with us, that God wants to come down and reach us. But I don't think that's actually the greatest gift God gives us. I think the greatest gift God can give us is for us to empathize with him, for us to feel what he feels. Because what God is doing here is giving Abraham this experience of what it's like to lose a son without actually having to lose a son. Because the only one who can actually lose a son or give up a son rightfully is God himself. Because that's what God the Father does by sending Jesus to the cross. And so what God is asking Abraham to do is I want to give you the greatest gift. I want you to give you the experience of losing, of surrendering a son, because that is someday what I will do what God the Father will do. And so when we get to Philippians chapter three, you know, the apostle Paul in, in chapter three talks about counting everything as loss 
because of the surpassing greatness and worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, that he may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings. What Paul is saying is the goal of the Christian life is to be able to share in the sufferings of Jesus, to be able to join him in his death so that he can join him in his resurrection. The greatest gift that you can have as a Christian is to be able to empathize with God and to experience the cross, the act of taking up your cross daily, the act of experiencing that pain and surrender. That's how we become like God. That's the gift that he gives us. And so in closing, I want to um, ask you guys today to, to pause for a minute. Our, our sharing question is this. What's your, what's your precious agony? Agony. What is your precious agony? What is, what is the thing that has been so painful to you that you've had to surrender? And I think for a lot of us, it could be some kind of trial. It can be some kind of circumstance. But one thing I want to be clear is that an aspect of the precious agony that is important is it's something that's chosen. It's not just forced upon you. God does not, did not force his command on Abraham. He allowed him to choose. It's something that you choose. And so as you think about this, this precious agony that you may have been experiencing, and for me, it it's feels like every, um, in a lot of ways, every day planting a church in a pandemic has its own kind of precious agony. Um, I pray that you would be able to kind of meditate and think about that. What is the precious agony that God has been introducing? And how are you, how can you choose surrender? in it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of Abraham's story and the precious agony that's contained within it. The suffering, uh, the pain, the disturbing nature, even the appearance of evil uh, that is in it. And so, Lord, would you, would you call to mind through your spirit the ways in which we uh, may be experiencing a precious agony today, a pain and suffering that we've chosen that has great value because it brings us close to the suffering that you experienced by sending your son on the cross and that your son himself experienced by dying. And so would we uh, be willing to experience and, and desire that gift today? And Lord, I, I pray that we would also know it's okay to be afraid, that it is so um, that you accept and receive um, that fear and that we would fear you most of all. In your name, amen.